listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. Family, have you ever noticed how backwards things are in a broken world? I think most of us learn early as children that the things that taste good are actually bad for us. The things that are good for us taste bad. As we get older, we learn that things that are hard and hurt are actually good for us, like working out. But a life of complete ease will kill you. Last weekend was watching a basketball game with my oldest and a pharmaceutical drug commercial came on. One of those commercials where they try to convince you for a third of the commercial why you need this drug and the last part of the commercial, it tells you all the ways it can kill you. And my nine-year-old looked at me and said, Dad, next time you're preaching, telling people how broken the world is, you should talk about this commercial. So here I am. My nine-year-old is already noticing, again, how broken the world is, that even the stuff that's supposed to heal you will kill you. But in the Bible, we see the bad and broken things in this world are things that our God is actually able to orchestrate and work for the good of his people, for redemptive purposes. That our God is actually a God who can work salvation out of judgment. This theme of salvation through judgment runs all throughout the scriptures and runs through Habakkuk chapter three. Today we're finishing Habakkuk. If you're not already there, if you'll turn there, as we said before, no shade or judgment if you have to use the index to get there. It's a small book, easy to skip over, and the minor prophets are easy to miss. But up to this point, the prophet Habakkuk is not thrilled with the way the Lord is running things. The book of Habakkuk begins with the prophet asking the Lord a question of how long, O Lord? There's sins all amidst the people of God in Judah. There's idolatry, idolatry, there's injustice everywhere. And the prophet's asking the Lord, do you not care? Why are you silent in the midst of the sins of your people? But the Lord breaks his silence and speaks to the prophet. And he says he's going to respond in a surprising way that the Lord is actually gonna send the Babylonians, the enemies of the people of God to bring judgment on his people. The prophet was initially perplexed and he grows even more perplexed by the Lord's answer. Saying, we're bad, I know things are bad here, but those folks are worse. How could you orchestrate things like this? But we saw last week, in the Lord's final words of the prophet, the Babylonians aren't gonna get off with this forever, that God's judgment is going to come against them. That there's going to come a day, we saw in Habakkuk 2.14, where not wickedness and injustice, but God's glory and goodness will fill the earth. But until that day, we saw in chapter two, verse four, the righteous must live by faith. In chapter three, what we have before us today is the final response of the prophet to the word of the Lord that he's just heard in chapter two. 
We've got two points from our text today, which is really just one big point. So the main point today is that God's people must remember God's works in the past in order to rejoice in God in the present. I'm gonna say that two more times. God's people must remember God's works in the past in order to rejoice in God in the present. Last time. God's people must remember God's works in the past in order to rejoice in God in the present. So the first point covers this first portion of chapter three, that we as the people of God must remember God's work. We must remember God's work in the past. So let's look at this text together. Starting in verse one, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shagainoth. Let me give you a secret from seminary. When you come across words like this, just say them with confidence. I had a lot of different professors. They pronounce these words all differently. And the Irish woman who reads my Bible, audio Bible, this is how she pronounced it. I trust her more than my professor. So that's what we're going with tonight. Shagainoth. That's the Lord's, that's the prophet's response to the Lord's word in chapter two is a Shagainoth, which is a song to be read in public worship, to be sung in public worship by the people of God. Notice at the end of Habakkuk, all the way to the end, at verse 19, says, to the choir master with string instruments. This is meant to be a song here. We also see three times, selah, this word that shows up as a musical break throughout the Psalms. You see it in verse three and nine and 13. This is a prayer written as a song. And prayer is simple in many ways, isn't it? It means we as God's people, as his children, can talk to him anytime, anywhere about anything. It's simple. But prayers can also be more structured. There's time for spontaneous prayer. There's time for us to write out our prayer. There's time for us to put our prayers into songs to the Lord. We need all of these things to the people of God. Singing is important for us as God's people. There's a reason why we don't just read truths to one another. We do that, but that's not all we do, right? God has sovereignly chosen for us to sing. And one of the reasons he does that is because singing drives these truths all the more deeply into our hearts. We need to sing to the Lord. And also as we gather together as the people of God, part of being filled with the Spirit is we're addressing one another with these things. This is one of the reasons why we love Jess so much. One of the many reasons because she has faithfully led us for so long to worship the Lord in song. It's important what we sing together as the people of God. Here in chapter three, the tone of the book changes. We've said all along, this kind of reads like the prophet's journal. But here in chapter three, there's no more questions. There's no more complaints. There's only this prayer of praise after recounting the Lord's faithfulness. Habakkuk remembers and recounts the Lord's faithfulness to his people in the past so that the people of God can rejoice in the Lord in the present. So let's see what Habakkuk has to say in this Shagainoth, this prayer psalm for us. Look at verse two. O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
So Africa Bible Commentary points out that this is a threefold petition here in verse two from the prophet. He's asking the Lord to revive his work, to reveal it to his people, and to remember his mercy through it all. To revive, to reveal, and to remember is what the prophet is asking. And this request to revive it, again, we have to remember where we are in the scriptures, what's going on in the context. Not long before Habakkuk time, there was actually a good king in Judah, Josiah, the boy king, who through him the law of the Lord was rediscovered, introduced back in amongst the people of God to rule. He tore down the high places, the places of idols around. But by this point, Josiah's dead. Those high places of idolatry have been rebuilt again. The law of the Lord is being disregarded. Injustice is ruling and reigning around. So it's in this context, the prophet is asking the Lord to revive his work of old. He's asking him in his wrath and his judgment to remember mercy. So Habakkuk is not only going to remind the Lord's people, but here he is reminding the Lord himself of his works in the past and asking him to not let just those things be a thing of the past, but continue your work in the present. Give us hope for the future is what he's asking. So this is point one. As God's people, we must remember God's work in the past. As God's people, we must remember God's work in the past. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know the scriptures are constantly calling us to remember. If you know the story of the Old Testament, there's many times where God is asking his people to remember. He asks them to pick up rocks at points to remember. So that they wouldn't forget what God has done for them so that they would have rocks there to point their kids to, to remind them what God has done for them. But this isn't just an Old Testament thing. The apostles tell us that they're there to stir us up by way of reminder. The apostles tell us that they need to remind us things because it's, there's a safety for us in being reminded of things because we are so prone to forget. We need to be reminded in order to remember as the people of God. So let's see how Habakkuk remembers and recounts the Lord's mighty works and his wins for his people in the past, even in the midst of judgment. Look, verse three and four. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. I've mentioned to you guys before, poetry is not easy for me. Some of you guys love poetry, you're great at it. Poetry is, there's a lot of poetry in the Bible. So even if we're not good at it, we just gotta work harder to understand it. So I had to depend on commentaries a little more this week to understand what all is going on here. But pretty clear, unity from commentaries, what all is going on, Taman, Paran, these are mountains bordering Sinai. You remember Sinai? Sinai is a place where God entered into covenant with his people through Moses where God gave the law to Israel after they were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery. So here, the prophet is describing the Lord's splendor and glory, how it fills the earth and the heavens. Again, this is a reminder of Habakkuk 2.14. 
Again, one day this is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we have seen previews of this, he's saying, throughout the history of your people, where you've shown your glory, you've revealed your glory to your people. He's reminding them of good days of old, where God has drawn near to his people and revealed himself to them. The Lord's promises are meant to be a safe place for us every day, but especially on dark days. The Lord's promises are meant to be a safe place for us every day, but especially on dark days. We had a dark day on Thursday, one of those days where the majority of people in the state of Alabama are tuning into James Spann. Tornadoes on watch all around our state. I grew up in Sylacauga, but after I graduated high school, my parents moved to Northport, which is in the Tuscaloosa area. Again, if you know the state of Alabama, you know a lot of tornadoes have come through there, some really devastating ones. So many houses there have these storm rooms, and the house my parents bought had a storm room in it. And as I would come home from college and uh, for breaks, Christmas, summer, I would normally go into that storm room every morning. There was a desk there it's where I would have devotional time with the Lord, read the word and pray. I would kind of mosey in there in the morning. But there was sometimes when I was home and storms would come and it wasn't time to mosey in there. There was time to run in there. There's times for us as the people of God Again, to know the Lord's promises are for us, there's times to where we cling to them, we run to them. On these dark days for the people of God is when we need to be reminded all the more of the light of God's glory. It's in the midst of the darkness of our circumstances that the brightness of God's promises grow to be even more precious to us. I told some of you four years ago that I'd really like to not have to have a scary cancer diagnosis to have a good prayer life, a sweet prayer life with the Lord. But it's often that in those dark places that the Lord meets us the deepest and that his presence and promises become the sweetest to us. This is when the Lord draws near to us all the more. And this is what Habakkuk again is reminding himself of. He's preaching to himself here reminding of the Lord's goodness and glory, knowing that darkness and judgment is coming. Habakkuk continues to recount the Lord's salvation through judgment to his people. We're gonna walk quickly through this section here. Look at verse five. Before him went pestilence and plagued followed at his heels. Again, this is reminding back to Egypt, God delivering his people through plagues, out of slavery, the Lord is able to take his people through judgment from slavery to salvation. In verse six through eight, we saw multiple commentators mention this military strategy at this point, this military strategy of shock and awe. So what this means normally is that people that may have a lot of power but are worn out their army, they'll show up for their enemies and just try to overwhelm them with power at first. So they really don't have to fight a battle, but just show them off their strength. And this is what we see here. But the Lord is not one who just is able to show up with all of his power because he's tired. The Lord is able to bring his power and to keep it going. Look at, look at how this is described here, the shock and awe, verse six through eight. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. 
His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. So again, Kashan, Midian, these are these ancient tribes around Israel that as Israel comes out of Egypt, they come through their land, this Exodus generation. But imagine you're a Midianite in this time. And one night you see this humongous pillar of fire that we just sang about. This pillar of fire in the sky. And maybe up to a million people following this pillar of fire. You would be trembling in your tent too if you saw this. The Lord's power at being displayed before you. The people around are trembling as they see God's greatness. Habakkuk recounts more mercy to his people in the midst of wrath. Look at verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? Again, this is poetic imagery. It's pointing back to what God has done for his people in the past. Of the Red Sea being split open, God's people walking across on dry land, being led out of slavery into freedom. This is a picture of what God did to the Jordan River as the people of God crossed again into the promised land, the land of Canaan on dry land. There's some rhetorical questions here in verse eight, saying, was the Lord's wrath against the rivers or the sea? Of course not. It was against God's enemies. These same waters that the people of God passed through safely these same waters were used in judgment upon God's enemies. There was salvation through judgment. Some were saved, some were submerged, same waters. And again, Habakkuk is reminding himself, reminding the people of God what God has done in the past so they can have hope in the present moving into the future. The following few verses here, again, are describing more battles that the Lord has won for his people, more salvation through judgment. Verse nine, look at that. The Lord has his war bow out here and puts Legolas to shame with how he can use it. Verse 10, probably referring to Judges four and five, sends this rainstorm to stop the enemy's chariots so Deborah and Barak can win a battle against the enemy, defeat Sisera. Verse 11, this famous story from Joshua 10, where time is running out on the, in the day, so the Lord changes the rules of the game, adds more time to the clock so his people could get the W in the end. Habakkuk goes through listing all these ways. The Lord has done these wondrous works, all the ways he's preserved and saved his people, even in the midst of judgment in the past. And then verse 12 through 15 really is a summary of this, a summary of looking back to give his people hope looking forward. Notice how many times he writes you. You here in these, these verses is describing the Lord's action. Look at verse 12. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors 
who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. There is some big biblical promises that the prophet is reminding himself and the people of God here. Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, you know who the Lord's anointed is. It's the promised Messiah. It's the one who's come and fulfilled 2 Samuel 7, the one who's gonna sit on David's throne and rule and reign forever. As you turn to the New Testament, you know, we meet that person in the first verse in the New Testament, that Jesus is the son of David. He is the king. He is the anointed one. We see in verse 13, that you crushed the head of the house of the wicked. This takes us back to the earliest good news we have after sin comes into the world. Genesis 3.15, this promise that God offers the remedy for sin even before he pronounces judgment and curse upon humanity. He says that a seed of the woman is coming, a child is going to be born, is gonna come and crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of the enemies of God. And this is the hope, brothers and sisters, the hope that Habakkuk's reminding himself and the people of God And again, even reminding the Lord of what he's done for his people in the past. It's clear from verse 16 that Habakkuk has not forgotten, though, his present circumstances. Those things are still crystal clear in his mind. The final four verses of this book of Habakkuk really serve as a summary of the book in many ways. Habakkuk says in verse 16, I hear, again, he's just looked back, looked back of all the Lord's works in the past for his people. He's looked back, but now he's going to look in. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Even though Habakkuk has just spent time, again, recounting the Lord's mighty works in the past for his people, Habakkuk acknowledges the Babylonians are coming. God's enemies are coming to breed God's judgment, and it makes him tremble. Hear me, brothers and sisters, if you haven't already, there's coming a day when you're going to get some news that makes you tremble. It's going to feel like rottenness in your bones. It's going to shake you to your core. And on those days, the scriptures tells us it's right to weep. It's right to be broken over the brokenness of this world. But as the people of God, we have hope in the midst of the brokenness. The apostle Paul tells us we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Paul tells us that we are the people that are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Habakkuk spent time wailing and waiting on the wall for the Lord's response at the beginning of chapter two. But now he waits for his beloved homeland to be invaded by enemies. What a scary place to be in. 
prophet is waiting here. But look at his response. Again, from this trembling, from this waiting on God's coming judgment to come, we get one of the most beautiful and famous confessions of faith in the scriptures. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk here lists all the sources of food and commerce in the ancient world here. And he says, even if I don't have any of them, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So again, this is our second concluding point here. And we need to remember God's works in the past so that we can rejoice in the Lord in the present, no matter what our circumstances are. The Babylonians are coming. They will destroy everything. And the prophet knows this. But here, the prophet decides not to blindly rejoice. This isn't some kind of Pollyanna prophetic approach to things. Instead, he's looking destruction, even death in the face and places his faith in the Lord. He chooses to rejoice in the Lord. He knows he can't rejoice in his present circumstances, but when you know the Lord, you can rejoice in the Lord no matter what your present circumstances are. The prophet looks ahead at the destruction coming and then he looks in and is filled with fear. But as he looks up to the Lord, his fear is turned into faith and his worry is turned into worship. It's right, it's understandable. Something's wrong with you if you're not filled with fear if you are where the prophet is at this point. It's right to be anxious in times like this. The Lord designed our bodies to be filled with fear and anxiety in times like this. But as the people of God, we can look to the Lord. Again, our fear can turn into faith and our worry can turn into worship. The scriptures teach us that suffering is the path to salvation. And when we know that, when we believe that, we can endure in faith. Habakkuk has gone from the beginning of what is recorded for us in chapter one, from complaining to the Lord to now having a contentment in the Lord. Your circumstances may not change. The prophet's circumstances have not changed. They've actually gotten worse from the beginning here of what he knows. But through faith, the Lord is always changing his people. Again, this is what Habakkuk lets us see happening in his own heart. Habakkuk's circumstances haven't changed. Again, gotten worse, but we see a change happening in Habakkuk. The Lord is working in him. This is what we see in verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. 
He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So here we see in just a verse, the prophet going from the valley of the shadow of death to the mountaintop and to taking, the Lord taking him to high places, going from shaking in fear to his feet being like the deer's, whatever that means, right? The Lord has provided a solid place for the prophet to stand, even in the midst of coming judgment. This is the promise at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. The promise that whoever hears Jesus' words and builds his life on them will be like a house that is built on a solid foundation. That no matter what storms come in this life, no matter what storm of judgment comes on the final day, there is a solid and steady place to stand. Here, the prophet is quoting another prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 35, verse 6. Speaking of the day of the Lord, he says, On that day, the lame will leap like the deer, and the mute will shout for joy. And you, like the prophet, can have a foretaste of that day today through faith. These things will come in their fullness on the final day of the Lord. The lame will leap like the deer. The mute will shout for joy. And through faith, we can have a foretaste of that. Kind of a preview of that coming day. Habakkuk knows the Lord's people will ultimately be delivered from exile. They'll be saved through judgment. But first they have to live through it. And the same is true for us, brothers and sisters. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the God-man promised us that in this world we will have tribulation. He didn't say maybe. He says you will have tribulation in this broken world. But he says be of good cheer. You can be happy even in the midst of the brokenness, even in the midst of your trouble. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, Jesus says. The Lord's people will be saved from final judgment and shown mercy. How do we know that? Because Jesus has taken the judgment that we deserve upon himself on the cross. Like Habakkuk, remember Jesus' disciples, when they first heard about Jesus speaking of salvation through judgment, when they first heard him talking about the cross, they hated it. Peter rebuked Jesus for it. But Jesus was faithful to fulfill the will of his Father, to bring salvation through judgment. In the midst of God's wrath, the Lord did remember mercy and saved his people. All these stories of salvation through judgment in the Old Testament that Habakkuk has just laid out for us, again, they're amazing stories. But all these stories are just shadows compared to what God has done for us in Jesus. These shadows can ultimately save you 
But Jesus is the substance, brothers and sisters. He is the one who can save you. According to all, again, these Old Testament stories of God intervening for his people, these things don't even begin to compare with the incarnation of God becoming man to dwell with his people, to come and save us. Jesus is this anointed one in verse 13. He is the king who has come not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life for his people. And because he's done that, you can cast all of your cares, not some of your cares, all of your cares upon this king because he cares for you. If you ever doubt that, if you ever doubt he cares for you, look to the past. Look to what God has done for you. Look to the cross and that while you were God's enemy, Christ died for you. He's shown you your love in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atonement, the propitiation for our sins. We have an enemy, as we read about in verse 13, who wounded Christ our king on the cross. But Jesus crushed his enemy's head through his resurrection. And one day, he will destroy Satan and his works finally at his return. This warrior king that we just read about here is coming back. This warrior king will either crush your enemies or he'll crush you on the final day. And I know this is hard to hear, but we all deserve to be crushed by this king because we have rebelled against him. As has been said, we have committed cosmic treason against the God of the universe. God's commands that are summed up by Jesus is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. Anytime we fail to love God, all those in us, and fail to love other people the way we love for ourselves, we're committed cosmic treason against him. We're rebelling against his rule. But God has provided a way for us to go from those who deserve God's justice, his wrath as his enemies to his beloved children. And the remedy for this is simple. It's what the scriptures would say. All you have to do is repent and believe. All you have to do is turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus through faith, you have nothing ultimately or eternally to fear. Our fear can fade in the light of faith. As many of us who grew up in the church, grew up singing, we can turn our eyes upon Jesus. And as in faith, as we look to him, all the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. No matter how dark your present circumstances, the Lord will ultimately rescue you in this life or the next. Habakkuk teaches us that we can't put our ultimate trust in what is in the barn or in the bank but our ultimate trust must be in the Lord. You can trust the Lord, no matter what your present circumstances, or how many complaints you have with how he's running things, no matter how many unanswered questions you may have, you can trust him. In order to trust him, brothers and sisters, we must remember God's works in the past so that we can rejoice in him in the present.